All right, so we continue the epic journey of Colossians, and we are on week four, and um, today's passage is through uh, the first chapter, verses 15 through 17, so just three verses, but they're pretty meaty, so uh, we'll spend some time talking about that, and uh, uh, Christ, the creator of all. So um, we're going to do review. So as part of this uh, Colossians Sunday School series, we've wanted to do a review during every week and just to recap what we've learned. Um, we want to do the Bible study method. So um, if you haven't caught that yet, we want to be intentional about um, preparing everyone to be able to study the Bible themselves. So every week we're going to have a different Bible study method. Um, we're going to have uh, kind of read the passage, talk about it, and then we're going to have a couple discussion periods, very similar to last week um, with what Tom did. So, review. Uh, this is where some interaction is important, because um, I want you guys to kind of wake up and let your brains kind of get out of the fog and kind of embrace the conversation. So, um, I want to get a hand... Um, I'm going to ask a couple questions. So, first week we talked about Paul's greeting, and in that we talked about the true gospel. And uh, first, I'll give you the first one. First, when you when with the gospel is you hear it, and then what? Do you remember? It was up there on the slide three weeks ago. First, you hear it, then you. You understand it. Amen. Good. That was, hey, at least you tried. Whoever tried, that's great. And then, what? First you hear it, then you understand it, then you believe it. And then what? It bears fruit. Okay, so, review. Hear, understand, believe. And it bears fruit. Pretty simple, right? Next, last week we talked about, uh, Tom talked about um, um, knowledge. And I'm done with questions, okay? So you can calm back down and, and kind of rest. So uh, we talked about knowledge being precise. And we talked about wisdom being skilled and learned. And then understanding was this bringing it all together. So knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So as far as Bible study methods, this is really small, but you know, hopefully you can kind of uh, recognize, I'm, I'm calling it text dissection. So that just, the way I remember, makes, it just gives, it may, makes it more sticky for me is that when I think of dissection, I think of owl pellets in like the seventh grade, you know, when we, you, you dissected the owl pellets and looked at all the hair and the bones and stuff in there dissecting the text, right? Looking at the different words and what they mean and, and what they're there for. And then, uh, last week, we learned about Blue Letter Bible. So, I want to ask a few questions and, and do a little poll, so get your arms warmed up a little bit. Um, uh, who, in response to the Blue Letter Bible, who had not used the Blue Letter Bible before last week? Raise your hand. 
All right, so I'm in that camp as well. I'd always heard Mike talk about it, but I, I use different resources, but I may have to start using the Blue Letter Bible. All right, so next question. Who feels like their personal study of God's Word will be improved with access to that tool? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, I, I think for sure. Now, here's the fun question. Who used Blue Letter Bible this last week? Hey, there you go. That's good. That's good. Now, it, it, and this is intentional for Android, and you can download from iTunes, okay? So if it's not on your phone, you can download it on your phone. Pretty easy, right? So it's always there. So let's go ahead and read the passage um, I'm just going to read it, and then um, uh, this is, again, 1 Corinthians 1, 15 through 17. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're awake that you passed the test. <laughs> it is Colossians. I tend to think things and then say something different. That's not a good trait for a teacher. So, uh, Okay, let me read. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So uh, just keep that in your mind, what this passage is about. Uh, before we, we really start digging in to the passage, I want to talk about context. Um, because, and this is the historical, or the, the Bible study method that we're going to discuss today. Um, because it's, it's really important, when we want to interpret the Bible correctly, we have to understand the context of, 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 the, of the passage. So, uh, first up is historical context. So uh, just as you think about this, I want you to, we're going to ask ourselves some questions about the historical context of, of Colossians specific, because that's what we're talking about. But this applies to any passage of scripture that you're going to be reading. So first question is who? And uh, the who can be who wrote the book? So in this instance, who wrote Colossians. Paul. That's right. And, and, okay, so we know who wrote the book, but what do we know about him? What, what do we know about Paul? Was he important? What, what else? Someone throw out something about Paul. Yeah, so he was, um, he was a Jew uh, persecuting Christians, and then he was saved, and now he becomes this great teacher of the faith. Uh, so we all know about Paul, but Paul. So who was the book written to? The Colossians. I know it's simple, but I mean, it's the morning and we've got to get our brains moving and get the, the juices flowing. Yeah. And, and do we, what do we know about the Colossians? Do, what do we know? What have we heard? I think Bill taught about this three weeks ago, so we all should know, right? <laughs> Yeah, I would be sitting there silent too. So, uh, but what do, what can you tell me? Mostly Gentiles. Yeah, 
there was a, there was a large group of uh, Jews in, the, in uh, Colossae, but, but yeah, it was mostly Gentiles. What else? Was there a church in Colossae? Yeah? He was writing to the church, right? Okay. Yeah, Epaphras. So, so um, when, when Paul, well, yeah, we'll hold off on that detail because I think we might get to it later. But um, uh, the Colossians lived in this society uh, that believed in a lot of different things, right? We hear about all of the ancient uh, Roman or the Greek uh, religions um, that they're worshiping in temples and to idols and all that. Uh, the Colossians were part of that group. Uh, very, very similar. So, next question is when. So let's ask ourselves, when was the book written? And what, to what, what was the culture of the day? So, um, the book was written around 60 to 62 A.D., so, um, where was it written? Where was the book written from? So, that's always a good, good, as you try to get your head and you imagine yourself, Paul in prison writing to this church. That helps form some of the context of the book. And then you, you, form your, you put yourself in the shoes of um, where they live. And then you can start understanding, well, when Paul says this, or when uh, Mark says this or whatever, we can start understanding the context. So what I want to do is I want to take a detour on the where. And I, this is something that I do because I enjoy um, uh, learning about the history of various things. Uh, so when we... When I start uh, studying for a book, I always dig into the geography. I don't know why, but it tends to help me envision myself as a Colossian getting the letter and just imagining myself in this world. So I'm going to run through some geography lesson of Colossians just so we can gain some, some context. And I think it'll be, I think it'll be fr fruitful. So if you see here, can you guys see the mouse, the cursor? Yeah, so here's Colossae, okay? Um, now, here is the Google Map walking route from Colossae to Laodicea. Who's heard of Laodicea? Yeah, it's from Revelations, right? Where he talks about how you're neither hot nor cold, so I want to spew you out of my mouth, right? Okay, and then let's see this white dot up here. That's Hierapolis. So... In, uh, in Revelation, there's a, there's a letter to Hierapolis, there's a letter to Laodicea, but there's not a letter to Colossae. Interesting, when uh, he writes to Laodicea, you probably have heard this before, Hierapolis was known for its hot springs, Colossae was known for its cold river, Laodicea was between the hot and cold, so they were kind of lukewarm. Kind of interesting. So, what I want to do uh, so, you know, it's a four-hour walk. So if you're a Colossian and you want to go to Laodicea, they're just a neighbor down the street. They probably knew each other. The church knew each other. So I'm going to zoom in. And this is uh, the ancient remains of Laodicea. Now, 
this is all things that you can do. So take this little yellow guy, and uh, the cool thing is that Google, you can do street view, but also people will upload pictures. So you can now look around the geography of what it would have been like. The geography is the same as it was then for the most part. See that white part up there? That's looking north. That's Hierapolis. Okay? And if you look right at the base of this mountain, that's where Colossae would be. So they're all neighbors, which was interesting to me. As you start thinking about the relationships that they all have with each other, uh, they probably all knew each other. So let's go back. I just want to continue real quick. So this is um, Hierapolis, where the hot springs are. And, and it's actually, they're still there. Um, uh, and they're kind of a tourist attraction. It's relatively unknown, but really cool if you start you know, digging in. Um, called Pamukkale. Pamukkale? Don't pronounce it right. But um, you can start looking at some of the pictures of what it was like. And, and uh, what I want to do is, is give you guys tools to be able to look at the, um, the context, the geographical and historical context. So here's the interesting part. Oops. I'll go through all those. So the the hot springs that I was showing, those those really those weren't formed until there was a major earthquake that happened in about sixty one to sixty four AD. So when was the book written? When was Colossians written? 60 to 62 A.D.? Does Paul mention anything about an earthquake or something that was devastating to the Colossian city in the Colossians? Do you guys know? No. There's, there's not? No. So most people believe that Colossians was written, and then this earthquake occurred, and this earthquake devastated Colossae. Cause, so Colossae was this thriving city, and then it became this small town, and then it kind of lived a bleak life for about 300 years and then it died there's nothing there today so the context is imagine God and all of his infinite wisdom giving them this sense of Christ is over all things Christ is creator and you can have peace in that and then a year later their world is upturned and they're devastated so God is shepherding our hearts now with Colossians but I would, I would suggest that God's, he's shepherding the hearts of the Colossians at where they were when this earthquake could, would have happened. And, and take it one step further, uh, Hurricane Dorian, how devastating is that? It, it just makes me so sad to imagine you go from something to absolutely nothing and how only God's word can give us peace in that instance. So that's the kind of historical context that I think we can start seeing when we start uh, digging in. So, and the last parts are literary context. So, um, what type was the book? Uh, was it written? Was it a? Was it poetry? Was it allegory? Was it historical narrative? Was it a letter, an epistle? Um, and then, 
and it's last, but it's definitely not least, what is the meaning of the verse and how does it correlate to the verses around it? How does it correlate to the chapters around it? <clears throat> so, um, next is, is, uh, is kind of how this might play out as you look at Colossians as a whole. And, and when you start seeing the overview of a book, you can start gaining some insight into what specific verses mean. So this is, um, you guys can read this, this is like a little table uh, where um, you've got, uh, you know, first chapter, second chapter, third chapter, fourth chapter, and then this would be the first half of the book is um, about the supremacy of Christ, the second half of the book is about the submission to Christ. And these are just general, uh, to help us gain understanding the framework when we read the book. Or um, what Christ did for us is the first half, the second half could be what Christ does through us. So uh, I always find these uh, super helpful. Now, as far as Colossians go, um, the first half generally would be considered more orthodoxy. So orthodoxy is adherence to correct or accepted creeds, or especially, especially in religion. So it's believing the right thing. And then the second half is generally more orthopraxy. So it's uh, correct practice or action. So to keep it simple, orthodoxy is right thinking. Orthopraxy is right acting or right doing. So what do you suppose we're going to be talking about today with the verses we read? Is it orthodoxy or orthopraxy? Orthodoxy, yeah, I heard it. Yeah, orthodoxy. So this is theology, this is truth um, uh, about Christ and who he is. So, keeping the context in mind, so we, I want us to uh, re keep that context in the back of our heads because um, we're going to ask some questions about it. But first, we're going to talk about verse 15 real quick. So, uh, verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So this is a big verse. And there's been a lot of, uh, actually, heresy surrounding this verse, um, which we'll, uh, we'll get into in our discussions. But I want to give us some definitions a couple, of a couple words that are really important in this verse, because if we don't understand them, it could take us down a different path. So the first word is image. And uh, did a word study, just like we did last week. Um, look it up in Blue Letter Bible or, or whatever you want. Um, the word image is icon. So that sounds similar to icon, like I-C-O-N, that we would see today that you have in like a very liturgical church. Um, the word icon is, is intended to be, it's a uh, mirror-like, so uh, I'm just going to read it because I'll try to explain it and get it off. Icon exactly reflects the source, what it directly responds to. So it exactly reflects. So Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is exactly the same. It is exact imprint. And so here Paul says Christ is the very image of the Godhead. 
So Christ is God. Now, there's other verses in the Bible that speak to this as well. Now, next is uh, firstborn. And this word firstborn, I'm not going to speak to a whole lot yet, but um, I'll give you the definition of the word, uh, prototokos, um, the first to bring forth or preeminent. And that word shows up a number of times in the New Testament, and it's used different ways. So what I want to do now is get into discussion groups. Similar to what we've done last week, we've got about 10 minutes, and um, want to ask these questions about context in verse 15. So, number one, based on the context, why is Paul writing to the Colossians, and how could it be helpful for their Christian walk to pay attention to Paul's writing? Number two, how is our culture similar to the Colossian culture, and how is it different? So we can make some assumptions, and we can apply it our, to, to our lives. And then third, how does the word firstborn, uh, do, sorry, does the word firstborn mean Christ was created? How can you use the context in the passage to validate your answers? So I didn't give you a lot of instruction on firstborn because I want you guys to find it yourself. And the answer is in the passage 15 through 17. Great discussion. So let's start out. Um, so I want to skip down to the last question uh, because uh, I think that's where the meat's at and we'd, we're going to run out of time. So uh, question, your guys' group discussion, um, any comments you have? Does the word for firstborn mean Christ was created? And how can you use the context in the passage to validate your answer? No. It does not mean that he was the first one created. It means that he has, that he is the heir to all creation, that he is first dibs on everything created. And uh, verse 17 clarifies that very well with him being the one who created all things and how he's the head of the body and all that other stuff. Okay. Good answer. What else? Yeah, that pretty much summed it up. So that's using the context to help an answer the question. Um, now, the, the thing about uh, this, he is the image, he's the firstborn of creation. Um, uh, a lot of heresy has points to that. So like Jehovah's Witness or um, Mormons would say, you know, Christ is not God because he's created. He's born. Um, well, the, the context speaks el elsewhere. And then if you start using the rest of Scripture to help inform the interpretation of that verse, uh, there's so many verses that speak to Christ as God that, of course, it doesn't mean that he was created because he can't, because he's God. So that's how we interpret script Scripture uh, and obviously it's important for us because we're, we're Christians trying to walk the walk and there's days when the enemy wants to tell us a lie. Uh, and so we've got to be ready for that. Um, so we're going to move on um, to verses 16 and 17. Now 15 was kind of Christ as the preeminent one. 
And then 16 and 17 is Christ is creator, which is a big deal. Um, I was thinking about last night, like, if you really think about it, if we start complaining against God, like, he's, we're, we're just dust. And, and, but yet he, he invites the dust to his table to dine with him and to be with him for all eternity. And he loves us. It's like, having a pet rock, and then the pet rock getting mad at you. Uh, it's just the weirdest thought I had last night. But, but, but yeah, Christ is creator. So we put him in his rightful place. So what I want to do is, is I, wanna, I want us to get our minds to this sense of, kind of a sense of worship of Christ as creator. And I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to pull up a video, five-minute video. We're going to watch it. And then we'll do some discussion. So, first verse, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. He's creator. John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, speaking of Christ. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And it's in reference to Jehovah, the great I am, from Exodus 3, when Moses goes up to the uh, Mount Sinai and he sees the burning bush. And imagine, remember Moses' response, um, and he hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So there's this sense of awe and reverence of the great I am. That's Christ. So, and then Revelation. Um, so I've got a number of verses. I'm going to read them off, and I want you to write them down, if you so desire, and then let you read them later, okay? Because... I think time is a thing. We need to be cognizant of. So Revelation 4, 4 through 6, verse 8, verse 10, Revelation 5, 3 through 5, 8 through 14. And it's... It's, uh, it's really this, this scene of when John gets to come in and see the throne, and it's all around the throne. And there's um, all of these creatures and the 24 elders, and it's the holy, holy, holy um, uh, setting. <clears throat> but be encouraged when you read that. So, um, so as we consider Christ as creator, um, him who... Uh, we are made through. Um, I want to move towards a video. So what I want to do first is, so Right Now Media. Uh, who is on Right Now Media? Raise your hands. Okay. Get excited. Good job. Okay. If you haven't got into Right Now Media, that's great. But I want to give you an introduction into it just because uh, it's... it's uh, a great blessing to us and our family 
And um, I'm going to give you a two-minute commercial because uh, I want you to have access to tools and, and know they're there. So right now, media is kind of the Christian Netflix is the way it's spun. But it really is access to a lot of great Bible studies, a, a lot of great sermons. Uh, they've got things for women, things for men, uh, a lot of uh, kids' stuff. So we, like Superbook, you know, every morning, every Sunday morning, we watch Superbook as everybody's getting ready. And it's actually really good. Um, I kind of enjoy Sunday morning. So uh, youth, uh, marriage, so some of these, you and me forever, that's, that's great. Um, uh, parenting, so in, 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 you know, I, there's just a vast amount of stuff on here. So if you have questions, um, Bible Project, conferences, so uh, there you go. That's Right Now Media, if you've never seen it. Oh, good question, Kent. <laughs> I, uh, so um, you can get it. Uh, one of the elders can send you an invite. So it's, it's very simple to uh, send someone an invite. Um, and I don't think, I, I didn't test that out before. But all you do is you go in and you say, I want to invite somebody. And you put their email address in. And then that person gets an email and you sign up. And it's all through our church. Our church puts the bill for this great access. Um, so if you, if you want it, you can ask me, ask Larry. Um, yeah, it, it is, it's very easy to get. So <clears throat> one of these on here is Secret Church, which is uh, hopefully not going to play automatically. Um, so David Platt, and if you haven't heard David Platt, he's great. He's He's uh, really good, and he does this thing called Secret Church every once in a while, and it's basically the church gets together at like 6, a, 6 p.m. on a Friday night, and he teaches for like five or six hours, and it is meaty, and it is fast, and it is, you just don't take a breath, and it, it's supposed to model after when he goes to China, and he teaches through the night, and he teaches as fast as he can because these pastors are soaking it up because they want it and they don't have access to it. And so this, this thirst for God's truth and God's word, and uh, he wants to emulate that. So um, five minutes, and then we'll do a discussion, and we'll probably wrap up close to after that. Uh, but this will kind of get us in the mood for the discussion. Well, good evening. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells, and God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you know this God? I mean, really, do you know this God? Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Do not boast about how smart you are. Do not boast about how intellectual you are. Do not boast about how rich you are. You have one boast in this life, and it is that you know God. We are focusing tonight on our persecuted brothers and sisters in three countries, India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan, a land of a million gods, literally hundreds of millions of gods that are worshipped. I can't get out of my mind images from central India walking past Hindu temples and seeing people bowing down before idols, throwing money before idols, weeping before idols, dancing before idols, false gods. They have such a warped perception of God. But ladies and gentlemen, so do we. We have a warped perception of God. I draw your attention to one article on the cover of one section in the Wall Street Journal. It's entitled, Redefining God. And listen to the thesis of the article. Across the country, the faithful, quote-unquote, are redefining God. Dissatisfied with conventional images of an authoritarian or paternalistic deity, people are embracing quirky, individualistic conceptions of God to suit their own spiritual needs. You say, yes, that is what the culture is doing. No, it's what the church is doing. We have this dangerous tendency today to create God, redefine God, to be who we want him to be. And really, we create a God who looks a lot like us. He's a nice, middle-class American God. And he looks like us, and he thinks like us, and he's comfortable with our lifestyles. He's comfortable with our self-saturated, lukewarm faith. He's comfortable with our apathy. He's comfortable with half-hearted devotion to him. He is comfortable with materialistic indulgence. He's comfortable with all those things because we are. And we fashion a God who looks a lot like us. Don't miss the danger here. If this is the case then when we gather together in this room every Sunday or in the church that you are a part of, gather together for worship and you sing songs and you lift your hands out to God, this God that you've created, the reality is you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourselves. And even when we are known as a people who worship in the church, the reality is the object of our worship has been grossly misdefined. And so I want you to know from the very beginning of our time together tonight that our goal is not to redefine God. He is not open to redefinition, and he will not be trifled with. 
Our goal is not redefinition. Our goal is revelation. We want to see how God has revealed himself to us in all of his beauty and all of his grandeur and all of his terror and all of his might. We want to see who the God of the Bible is. So if you... All right, so um, I, I really enjoy that because it really brought me back to let's look in the scripture of who God is and let's remind ourselves of who God is. So, discussion. Um, questions number one, how can the way we view God affect our everyday decisions? And how should it affect our everyday decisions? So how can it and how should it? And uh, what triggers your mind to think on Christ's eternality, God's word, discussions with others, prayer, other. And what, what is the number one thing that stands in the way of you doing those activities? So ponder that. All right, so we'll do about eight minutes, and then we'll um, wrap up with discussion. All right. Hey, thank you for letting me show that video. I know that, like, you, I, I did, you didn't give me permission. I know it was kind of a slap in the face. Um, it was, that was tough, right? Um, I think it's encouraging. I think we should be encouraged to not be lukewarm. Okay? That's a good thing. I'm encouraged by many of you by your lack of lukewarmness, so your fervor for the Lord. But I think it's always good to hear that. Let's not be lukewarm, okay? So um, just wanted to share that. So discussions. Mike, the microphone is ready, not Mike, <laughs> Daniel. Okay, so uh, first question, how can the way we view God affect our everyday decisions and how should it affect our everyday decisions? Answer. What do you guys got? What do you guys discuss? All right. Uh, what we uh, what we think affects what we do ultimately, and oh. so uh, what we hear from God's word ultimately affects our beliefs and then our decision making. And so, uh, knowing God's word could affect what we do. Yeah, is there a difference between knowing and believing? Yeah, I know this stuff, but I I guess the next question: When am I thinking about it? So let's move to that. What triggers your mind to think on Christ's eternality? Does your mind ever get triggered to Christ's eternality? <laughs> yeah. Days like today it does. I don't know about you, but how often it would be. But, but what does it for you? What Small group? Yeah. Uh, sometimes when I get down because this life has a bunch of nonsense in it, it's just nice to think that God has better plans in store for the next life and all that and yeah there's other stuff that goes along with that but this life is not one that i want to live forever so thank goodness for death yeah. uh, that's one way to think about it yeah that's true what else yeah for me it's just kind of uh remembering to be grateful for what christ gave me and if I can do that, then it helps me be willing and ready to share the gift that I received mm. to anybody and everyone if I'm focusing on that. For me, it starts in the morning with God's Word. Yeah, that's good. This remembering. 
what's the one thing that stands in the way of you thinking on Christ's eternality? Yeah. Just when our priorities get off, um, mm-hmm. we're not spending time with God in his word, in worship, or in prayer, and um, just letting the cares of the world take over, and it just reminds me of Colossians 3, you know, setting your mind on things above, yeah. and um, just what lasts, you know. I asked the kids the other day, what, you know, what are the things that last for all eternity, you know, what's important, yeah. so we were talking about that. Yeah. That's good. Anybody else? What else? Yeah, for me. Oh, yeah, go ahead. We're zoning in. Okay. Well, I think it was um, uh, Joan that just said that... um, it's spending time with your father yeah. if you want to know him. And, um, and that's, you know, we hear that all the time, you know, when Mike says read your Bible, uh, when we encourage people to engage in, in uh, quiet time, devotions, whatever you want to call it. Um, um, and we can't expect um, to know him if we don't spend time with him. And when the corollary to that is that we can't give what we do not have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's vital that each of us develop some sort of discipline, whether you're an early morning person or a late at night person or whatever, but some sort of discipline so that it, it is a priority in your life. And that's been said a number of different ways. Yep. No, that's all good. Um, you know, for, for me, it's uh, busyness. It's just this constant busyness. There's always something fighting for your time um, as soon as you wake up. And, uh, but it's discipline. I heard that. I heard priority. Those are good words, right, for all of us, I'm sure, to be encouraged by. Yep, one more here. Larry? This probably doesn't apply to anybody else in this room, or, but uh, for me... <laughs> Uh, I remember a point in life where I had a real separation between God and Christ. And um, I think a large part of the world out there that we're talking with, too. I talk with Chinese students. I talk with Muslim students. And that's a huge, huge thing as well. It's one thing to talk about God and and his greatness and how he created and all these things. Uh, No problems recognizing that. In some ways, it's easy because he's far and away removed, so far away from me that it doesn't really, he doesn't really affect my life. But Christ affects my life. And then to begin to think that Christ is all these things that we attribute to God. And he's, he is mo- so much more than just a man. He is a man, but so much more as well. That begins to impact my life and how I live because I, I see how Jesus lived and yeah. how far short I am. That's good. All right, so I put on the handouts, if you have a handout. Um, we're going to finish with this. So I'd like us all to read this together in nice symphony. And uh, just as a good reminder for all of us. So get your handouts. We'll read Psalm 8. How majestic is your name? O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the mouths of children and infants, you have ordained praise on the account of our adversaries to silence the enemy and avenger. When I behold your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler of the works of your hands. You have placed everything under his feet, all sheep and oxen and even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is the name in all the earth. 